electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank Hollinan for the Judge Scott Wapner. Stocks hitting new all-time highs and a major milestone for the NASDAQ. And a new call taking the S&P 500 target for the year to a new street high. What's going to take us there? Of course, we're going to debate your next money moves with our investment committee today. That includes downtown Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Michael Farr, John Ajarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Also with us today, Kate Moore, head of thematic strategy for BlackRock's global allocation team. Thanks all for being here. But first, let's get a check on the markets of this hour. The Nasdaq hitting a new all-time high, reaching 15,000 for the first time ever. The S&P 500 also at all-time highs. The Dow just about a half a percent from reaching a new high there. And what we want to talk about right now is that very bullish call on the S&P 500 out from Wells Fargo today. Their price target 4825 for the broader index, highest on the street, as we mentioned, forecasting just about an 8% upside from current levels. The note points to some data, <laughs> historical data, uh, that the S&P has had, an, uh, when it has a price return above 10% for the first eight months of the year, it's never finished the last four months, or the average for the last four months, excuse me, is above 8%, also saying EPS revisions will be a catalyst. Kate, if you don't mind, let's start things off with you. What's your take on this very bullish call? How do you see stocks shaping up in the broader market for the rest of the year? Look, I've been positively encouraged by the amount of earnings revisions we've experienced over the last couple of quarters. And in fact, you know, we were expecting at one point in the second half of 2021, we would actually see a rollover in terms of the upgrades to earnings forecast that has not come through. And that's because companies have done an outstanding job of managing their costs with rising inflationary pressures, their margins look healthy. I actually think we're going to see even more upgrades. So I tend to believe that the next stretch of the market will be driven by the earnings upgrades as well, and that will end the year higher than we are today. So remain constructive for sure. You know, Josh, turning over to you, um, highest price target on the street for 2021, but they actually see a bit of a decline for 2022. How do you see the market shaping up for the rest of the year? I tend not to pay attention to that kind of thing because nobody really knows what's going to happen. Most of the time when a strategist is putting in a note like this, basically they're extrapolating <clears throat> current trends out into the future. If you were looking at like 2020 outlooks in the middle of 2019, it's laughable how off they were because of this massive exogenous event we had that literally changed the world. So there's nothing to say that that couldn't again happen in 22, which means this kind of stuff is not really helpful for investors. I think having a situational awareness of how the market is acting right now is helpful uh, and is actually fact-based. And the rotation of this market continues to be hilariously amazing, Frank. Uh, huge <laughs> bounce in Chinese tech stocks. Nobody would have foreseen that happening. There's really no reason for it to be happening. But I think from a sentiment standpoint, probably helping out a little bit. All-time high in the SPX, in the NDX, 
and the QQEW, which is the technology equal weight uh, of the top 100 NASDAQ stocks. Massive breakout. And then let's look at the quote-unquote Achilles heel of the market, the Russell, ripping. Bounced at 21.25 off of that downtrend. One of the cleanest support lines you'll ever see. If that turns out to have been support, uh, it wouldn't shock me to see the Russell continue to rally. Google all-time high. Facebook about to make an all-time high. The Jets, the Cruises, when resorts have having a big bounce. Uh, and the only real pullbacks here are the biggest winners of the year. Target, Costco. I think these stocks look like cloud computing companies. They should have a little bit of a pullback. So that's what the tape looks like. Don't worry about 2022. We'll deal with that when we get there. At this moment, bull market on. All right, uh, Josh Brown with the bull market. Stephanie, I want to toss things over to you. Josh isn't the only person that's seeing a bull market here. Uh, Tom Lee from Fundstrat out with a note just saying rally all around. He's seeing just an overall rally. He's seeing all the headwinds the markets have experienced in the last couple weeks, couple months have been transitory headwinds. I know you're in favor of a bit more of a barbell approach. Do you see the same thing, just an overall rally? Yeah, but I actually do lean more towards cyclicals, financials, industrials, materials, energy, because these stocks have recovered, uh, have actually pulled back so much from the mid-May high. I do like secular tech, and that's part of the whole barbell, but I do think you want to own cyclicals. And why is that, Frank? And that's because you have a very solid economy. You have higher inflation, good jobs improvement. Initial claims are headed in the right direction. Wages are up 4% annualized. The consumer is still strong. Anybody that tells you the consumer consumers rolling over. I totally disagree. Just listen to Home Depot and Lowe's and Best Buy and TJX. The consumer is just fine. And there's so much pent up demand for spending. And 70% of our economy is the consumer. So that's super important. Manufacturing. We have five-year lows in inventories, still supply chain issues, but they have pricing power. So I'm looking at all of these things collectively. Go back to case point on earnings. Why are earnings going up? And that's because the economy is actually improving. Not all is perfect. We know we still have unknowns on Delta and, and peak growth concerns and Fed taper. But I would just uh, sit back and say tapering is OK. Let's embrace it because the Fed can taper. And I don't know. Is that Friday? Is that next month? Is that in three months from now? But they should be doing that given where we are in the economy. I do think it's interesting to note that in the last two days you have seen a reversal uh, in terms of what is outperformed. And it has been the cyclicals and the reopened names. And, uh, and, and actually tech has lagged. So let's see if this has legs. But that goes back to my barbell approach. You want to have exposure to both sides. You know, Stephanie, I want to stick with you just for a second. RBC out with a note today saying that basically the tapering's already priced into the markets. You're saying what you're saying about tapering, RBC having a bit of a different take. How do you see that playing out for the S&P 500 for the rest of the year? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I think the cyclical stocks have gotten hit so hard because of the taper concerns. And what taper would mean? Does that mean we slow dramatically? And I'm in the camp of saying there is still so much stimulus in the system. Rates are going to stay low for a really long time. So we are going to continue to have above-trend growth in GDP, above-trend growth in inflation, and above-trend growth in right. earnings. Maybe not to the extent that we've just seen it, but I think that we can do tapering. and I think that we can continue to see growth. All right, Michael, I'm going to go over to you. I know you're a big fan of the U.S. consumer. You're not betting against the U.S. consumer. But back to RBC's point, um, value and small caps underperforming. Do you see a bounce back as being part of the narrative for the second or actually the last third of the year, I should say? 
I, I do, and I disagree with RBC. I don't think it's priced in. I don't. I think part of it's sort of priced in. The market has reacted a little bit to the idea of taper. But one thing you can count on, Frank, is a tantrum. This market will tantrum and tantrum further when they actually start to taper, or at least when they start to announce it. And we hear it from Jay Powell. We haven't heard it from Jay Powell yet. That will confirm it to the market. And I think they will tantrum. Why? Because they've tantrumed every time they've tantrumed before the Fed has backed off. At one of these points, to Stephanie's point, you know, they've just got to do it. We've just got to get back to normal somehow slowly. And there's a lot of economic strength to endure and actually surge through this sort of this sort of a taper. So uh, it's coming. We'll get through it. But uh, to Josh's point, too, look. This is still a bull market, and a lot of people have gone broke calling an early end or an early top to a bull. This trend is still your friend. The Fed is still in your corner. Interest rates are still low. The economy is growing, and, and earnings are increasing. Price to earnings multiple right now is lower than it was a year ago. That's amazing. So, uh, I, look, they're very fully priced, but I wouldn't bet against stocks here at all, and I'm still buying. Michael Farr, Wells Fargo agreeing with you on those EPS revisions. John, I want to give you one word on this. Where do you fall in all this? Bull. Since you're only giving me one word. <laughs> what a good word. I enjoy the sarcasm. I enjoy the sarcasm. That's a great word, at least for this panel. Uh, Kate, before we move on to our next topic, really quick, we're talking about tapering. We're talking about that meeting at Jackson Hole coming up later this week. How do you see that impact in the markets for the rest of this week, for the last third of the year, and maybe even into 2022? Can the Fed be too late or can they be too early with tapering? Look, we've been asking for a taper for a while at BlackRock. I mean, it has been our call that the economy is strong enough that we can start to reduce asset purchases. I'm going to disagree with Michael a little bit and say, I don't think we're going to see a huge tantrum in the equity market once the Fed finally announces. It. We've been talking about it for months, uh, if not quarters. And, and our view is actually that the economy is strong enough to withstand a reduction in asset purchases. Companies are doing an outstanding job, as I was mentioning before, of managing their costs. I absolutely agree with Stephanie that the consumer is in excellent shape, and we really can move forward here. Do we get a mini rotation when the first words of taper come out of Jay Powell's mouth? Perhaps, but will it be sustained? I don't think so. And so on that front, I continue to like some of the secular winners. We're really like underscoring our positions in quality and growth at a reasonable price. John, I'm going to give you a few dozen words this time and come back to you on this one. What's your take on tapering the potential impact on the markets? Well, I've said uh, for a long time, Frank, that I do not believe that we're going to see that tantrum that Michael says that we might. Um, And as Josh said at the top, uh, you know, none of us know for sure. Uh, This is just all projected based on what the evidence that we have right now. Um, I think that uh, they are unlikely to talk too much about the taper uh, at this meeting because we've just had the Delta rolling over. Uh, So it's not over yet, uh, but uh, we can see that we are indeed following the curve that the UK followed, Frank. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. I agree that we should be tapering here. I think they'll probably take one more meeting before they really push that aspect upon us. And then I think we'll be just fine moving forward. All right, here's something else we can all agree on. Tech hitting record highs. We talked about the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100. So is this still where you want to be for the rest of the year? Kate, I'm going to start things off with you. I know you don't pick stocks, but is this sector still attractive to you? When we look at the kind of setup that we have today, Apple near all-time highs, Microsoft also near all-time highs. 
100%. I mean, technology is one of our highest conviction sort of sector calls. But I would say it's really important to think about the companies that are technology enabled across all different sectors. If you have the platform, if you've made the investments, you're going to be in a good place relative to your competitors. And I think relative to, you know, just sort of nominal GDP growth rates, we're going to see those areas really accelerate. You know, one area I hopefully that we'll talk about a little bit is cybersecurity and software security, because, you know, that's a place that's ripping today. It is a high conviction theme, something we've had in place uh, in the portfolio since the beginning of 2020, actually. And it's got the secular tailwinds to it, in addition to some of the ongoing threats. Companies are going to continue to invest in technology, and I think in specifically in cyber software uh, security. And so uh, I think this is a place that you want to be long for the long term, even as some of these companies make new highs. You know, Kate, you're speaking it into existence. We're going to switch gears and look at CrowdStrike. It's another tech stock that's trading higher today. It's rallying on news that it's being added to the NASDAQ 100, the NASDAQ 100 Equal Weighted Index, and the NASDAQ 100 Tech Index this week. Josh, you're an owner. Do you see its uh, upward trend still continuing as it enters the NASDAQ 100? I mean, I, I hope so. Technically, there's no reason why it wouldn't. The stock is definitely volatile. Um, I bought it last September, so I'm not even in it a full year, uh, meaning I don't have a long-term capital gain of it yet. Uh, but I'm up over 100%, and I've been super bullish on this uh, for a long time, doing up days and down days. Um, and I get plenty of stocks wrong, but this one I feel like I really got right. Uh, and I think the story, the, the best is yet to come. Look, you have to think about total addressable market when you look at uh, SaaS software companies or annually recovering revenue stories. And I would argue that cybersecurity is one of the biggest TAMs in all of technology. It's an unavoidable inevitability that every company in the S&P 500, every government around the world is going to have to spend more, not less, with every passing year on cybersecurity. And CrowdStrike's Falcon X platform, uh, from everything I've read and seen, looks like it is uh, the absolute best. There's something called network effects. You think about the success of Facebook, Google. CrowdStrike has that network effect where the more companies join, the stronger the cybersecurity protection is. And so it's almost like a situation where you have to be in that network uh, because if you miss out, other companies have better protection without you. Uh, and then when you join, it makes it better for everyone. So those types of businesses historically have been some of the best businesses to own. Uh, it's an expensive stock. I've argued expensive for a reason. Uh, I understand the risk I'm taking on valuation. So far, the company's results have justified it. You know, John, going over to you, I know you're seeing some active uh, call buying when it comes to CrowdStrike. What's the strategy there? Mm -hmm. Well, they're buying uh, weekly calls that go all the way up to the 270 strike, Frank. Um, very actively traded. I'm in those uh, the calls below that uh, because I liked buying them when they were at the money rather than chasing those out of the money calls. Um, but Palo Alto Networks, as great as um, this news is for CrowdStrike, uh, certainly Palo Alto Networks just blowing it out, and that stock up over 20% PANW. So both of these stocks, uh, you know, to um, Kate's point, uh, if you're in cybersecurity, you're in the right spot. And, uh, you know, hats off to you, Kate, over at BlackRock for that, because these stocks are just going and blowing, and I don't see anything that's going to stop them. 
Yeah, you know, uh, Stephanie, I was looking at some of your disclosures. You actually own Fortinet, but you've also been trimming when it comes to cybersecurity. Can you explain why? It seems like every company has increased need for it. Yeah, I know. Um, well, it's up 103% year to date. The Palo Alto is only up 23% year to date. So it's been a big leader, uh, Fortinet has been. Um, and it's trading at 35 times EVD free cash flow. It's a little hard for me to justify. That being said, I'm going to keep a core position. Total revenues, I think, uh, compounded annually can grow 20%. They're gaining market share, especially on the enterprise side. They're generating a whole ton of free cash flow and margins are 35%, very healthy. So I like the story. It's just, it's had a really nice run. And any bad news, I think the stock would get hit hard. I am actually looking at Palo Alto, again, because it has lagged so much. As everyone has mentioned, total addressable market in cybersecurity, $167 billion last year, going to grow, compounded annually, 10% for the next 10 years. So that is a nice tailwind. And I want to have exposure, but I want to be prudent about valuation as well. You know, Kay, I want to give you one quick last word because this is actually your idea to kind of jump into cybersecurity. I know you can't talk stocks, but any broad themes we want to pay attention to? Well, I just think there are a couple of points to, to sort of underscore here, which is that if a company gets hit by a cybersecurity attack, it has huge financial repercussions, uh, reputational repercussions, and operational repercussions. No one can afford to do that. And when you listen to chief technology officers and chief investment officers, they're saying the same thing, which is that cyber spend and spend on software solutions is the top priority for them, not just in 2021, but going forward. And as the attacks become more sophisticated and as systems become more diffuse, you know, it's going to be incredibly important for that investment to persist. So, as I said, huge secular call here. Uh, I agree with all of my panelists. I'm, I'm glad to see we're all in this space. I think there's a lot more upside uh, to go. All right, moving on. One final, one final word on this, if, if you don't, if you don't mind, all very right, quick quickly. One, I think it's quick important. One. We got to keep it moving. The three, the three stocks we're talking about <laughs> are some of the most expensive stocks in the market. If you're a value player and you want to participate, Checkpoint CHKP, 20 times earnings, technically. I think if it can get above 135, that would be a breakout. Um, the stock has been consolidating for about three years. So that is, now they're not as good, but that's why the stock is so cheap. They are the incumbent. These other companies are taking share, but they're not necessarily laying down. They will fight back. So that might be a good option for people who don't want to buy stocks at 50 times sales. All right, turning from tech to value. I know Josh says don't worry about 2022, but Morgan Stanley's out with a list of names that you should buy and hold over into next year. There's value names like Coca-Cola on this list. Steph, you actually own Coca-Cola. What's your take? Yeah, I like it. It's been frustrating, right? Because it's only up 2%, but at least it has a 3% yield. It's not that expensive. Um, I like it because it's a reopened name, actually. 50% of their sales are off-prem, meaning restaurants and convenience centers and that sort of thing. I also like what the company has done in terms of their product, in a, uh, totally um, revamping the product um, to what people want. Um, and I just feel like it's also lagged Pepsi for so many years now. We have to have a catch-up trade. So I'm going to stay patient. It's a staple stock. I don't own many staples, but I can at least sleep at night with this one. You know, Michael Farr, uh, Philadelphia cream cheese. I'm from Philadelphia. One of my favorites, uh, a Mondelez brand. I know you're an owner of Mondelez. What's your take? Uh, I was glad that Morgan Stanley found my list. Uh, I've owned these stocks, most, most of them all, all year, uh, and I've talked about them on halftime uh, on, on this. So if you wanted to get a jump on it, you could do that. 
Uh, Mondelez has not been a stellar performer this year, but I think it's in an area that has begun to move. I think that this stock has a tremendous amount of potential. And they make, you know, you get the Philadelphia cream cheese and Oreos. Who doesn't like Oreos? I mean, you kind of have to own it in the <laughs> dividend, earnings growth. And it's a, it's, it's, uh, I look at it as a, a staple and necessity in your house. Yeah, some of the stocks on this list, Coca-Cola, Gilead, also Visa. Uh, John, I know you own some of those calls. Do you agree with the take that Morgan Stanley's offering here? Sure. Um, and just like uh, Michael said, I love it when they take a look at my list and then add <laughs> those to their lists. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I like the transaction business over at uh, Visa. Um, love what Gilead has been doing. I'm in Coke with Steph, and, uh, uh, but I'm in the calls, not the stock. Uh, I would like to see uh, Coke do better than they've been doing, but they've been more focused on woke than on business. And hopefully they'll focus in on business a little more in the remaining months of the year. You know, John and Michael, if Morgan Stanley really got to look at your list, that just underscores the need for cybersecurity. So we're going to want to follow that trade a little closer. <laughs> All right. Best Buy rallying on the back of its earnings beat. Uh, they said consumer spending on electronics really was a catalyst for this quarter. Uh, sales up about 20 percent. Steph, I know you own the stock. Do you think this trend can continue uh, even without that same level of stimulus that we've been seeing? I do, because they're, they're not only seeing strong demand from the consumer, but they're also doing things internally to make it a better company, meaning operating margin expansion. They actually expanded margins by 100 basis points. Really good cost control on top of very, very solid demand. They were really encouraging on the quarter. It's, it's you know up 20% year to date, but it's only up 5% in the past year. So it's really lagged, and it trades at 14 times forward estimates. And I think those estimates are going higher. So I still like it very much. Michael Farr, here's your chance. I know you want to champion the U.S. consumer, but I want to highlight a note from Mike Wilson yesterday. He basically said that maybe people have already bought all the things they want to buy. That's why there's not any inventory and that supply chain issues may not be the real reason that the U.S. consumer is fading, at least in his opinion. What's your take? I think what part of what Wilson's talking about is a sort of a pull forward in demand. And that, that, that has occurred a bit. But look, Never bet against the U.S. consumer spending a dollar. More reliably than any consumer around the world, you give an American a dollar and they're going to spend it. Savings rates are high. Earnings and wage growth is out there. And interest rates are still low. So you could still get a, a cheaper mortgage and refinance. You could get a second note uh, mortgage on your home. There's money out there. The U.S. consumer will spend it. And you, it, as, as Stephanie said, 70 percent of the economy is based on that consumer. They've got cash. They will spend it. I want to switch over to TJX, uh, the discount retailer hitting an all-time high today. Um, Stephanie, I know you own it. You're a fan. Josh, what's your take on it? You also own Leslie, another bit of an off-price retailer. Uh, no, so Leslie's you want me to not go in on this TJ? category. Yeah. Oh, but oh. <laughs> Yeah, Steph should go okay. on, TJ. Josh, you no, go, 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 go on, Josh. I'll follow up. I got nothing. I got nothing on this. It's you. It's you. <laughs> all right, pass the baton, Stephanie. All right, I got it. it. I got. I, all right, I got it. Um, TJ, it's also a reopen name. I mean, there's a common theme in my portfolio, right? It's reopen. It's the treasure hunt. People want to go to the Marmax stores. They want to go to Home Goods. They want to go to Home Sense. They have pricing power. They're gaining market share. They beat on total revenues, earnings, free cash flow. Margins were the best in second quarter 2016. So I actually added to it last week. It's now my largest retailer in my portfolio. 
and Josh Array. Leslie's a pool That's going company. higher. I was, uh, I was conflating that with something yeah. else. I don't know what I thought Leslie's was. Cool. I don't really shop at any of these stores, to be honest with you. Um, turn it over to you. <laughs> Kate, any thought we about you, just generally? We know you're big time, Frank. Oh, get out of here. Uh, Kate, turn it over to you. Uh, just any other thoughts about retail? Uh, the, you know, I know you don't talk specific stocks, but Best Buy was definitely a read on the consumer. A lot more people buying consumer electronics, kind of stepping up their work from home situation. Yeah, look, I think some of the trends we're talking about with consumer is that we saw, you know, a huge amount of investment in personal electronics. I think that's going to be ongoing. The work from home trend is here to stay, even if it's part time post pandemic. But what I'm really watching for, and this sort of continues some of Stephanie's um, ideas around the reopening trade, is a shift from goods purchases to services consumption for the average consumer. You know, in the lockdown, it was goods and only goods. But as we reopen and hopefully as we get past this Delta variant, I would expect to see increased spend on services. And so I'm looking at some of the consumer names that are geared towards that, whether it's experiential or parts of the travel space uh, or or entertainment in particular, uh, which is one of my favorite reopening trades. You know, that's where my eyes are right now. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed and staying hopeful we can get past this uh, latest bump and virus spike. Well, the investment committee is also making some moves. John, take us through your latest trades. Well, um, last week, luckily, I covered that short in Alibaba. Did not cover Didi quick enough, but then have reversed in Didi. I'm not long it, but I'm out of those puts. And the ones I'm focused on, a lot of them that, uh, quite frankly, uh, Frank, uh, Pete was talking about as far as, uh, you know, PDD, JD, a lot of these, Billy, had unusual call buying Thursday and Friday last week. Those have all jumped Snowflake, S-N-O-W, was one that I added on Friday as well. And that stock is sort of off to the races with some of these, um, obviously, data, not really cybersecurity. But nonetheless, I I still like this space a lot. And to Josh's point, you know, the Chinese stocks, this is by their own hand. Uh, the, The Chinese Communist Party, CCP, was the one that basically tore these stocks apart And once they stopped tearing them apart or stopped setting them on fire, uh, they did seem pretty cheap. And I think a lot of people scrambled back into those names that I just named. All right. The rest of the investment committee, you sit tight. Thank you to Kate Moore for joining us. Coming up, oil up for a second day is the bottom end for the recently beaten down energy names. We'll debate it and trade it. Coming up next on half. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go and on the CNBC app. Halftime. Back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden is reportedly saying that he will stick to the August 31st deadline to pull U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. That, according to Reuters. But the U.S. also telling the Taliban that the August 31st pullout will only happen if the group helps evacuation efforts. Biden has also reportedly asked for contingency plans to stay longer should it become necessary. A key health panel recommending that screenings for diabetes start sooner for some adults. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force says that testing should begin at the age of 35 instead of 40 for people who are obese or overweight. The ACLU suing South Carolina over a ban on school mask mandates. The group filed its suit on behalf of students with disabilities and others at risk of becoming seriously ill if they contract COVID. The ACLU says that the ban on mask mandates disproportionately affects at-risk students. And on the news, the rising number of COVID cases among children and also what's being done to fight it. That, of course, airs tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Rahel. Turning now to the energy sector, oil pushing higher again and energy stocks. They're back in the spotlight. The top performing S&P sector this week, gaining nearly 5 percent. Josh, we're going to kick things off with you. What's your take on the broader space? Look, I think these stocks, you know, they're not supposed to trade one for one with the underlying commodities, but sentiment wise, they definitely have a high correlation. So if you think you have a, a view of oil that's materially different from the market and you want to trade these names, there are some amazing opportunities. They're very high beta stocks these days. Some of them have big short positions. There's a lot of volatility here. You can make money from both directions. None of that has anything to do with what I do day to day. So my take on like the next five dollars in WTI up or down, it would literally be a coin flip. Uh, Stephanie, over to you. I actually want to reference a note from Goldman's Jeff Curry yesterday. Very bullish on oil. Uh, fourth quarter price target for oil at 80 bucks, about a 19 percent upside from where it's trading at right now. Do you see these trends continuing? Um, do you see demand increasing even with the Delta variant? Just uh, all the different factors that are out there in the market right now. Yeah, I do think demand is going to recover as the global growth recovers. And this is part of the cyclical trade. And energy is actually pulled back quite nicely, actually. Um, Chevron is down 11 percent from its highs. It's a quality play, great balance sheet. They're doing all the right things in terms of asset sales and M&A. They've got great Permian assets and you get a 5-5 yield while you wait. So I want to take advantage of down 11 percent and be adding to that one. Schlumberger is another one that I own. That one is down about 22 percent from its highs. And they actually will benefit from higher prices. Higher prices means more services. And this is a technology, hidden technology play. And margins have upside from here. And then Diamondback Energy is a fairly new position for me. It's down 27 percent from its highs. And they're doing all the right things in terms of increasing production, lowering CapEx, paying down debt. So I have only three names. I'm 200 basis points overweight relative to my bench, but my bench is only 2.4 percent in terms of energy. So it's not a huge, huge bet, but it is part of the cyclical trade that I have. John, you have a lot of exposure here. You got calls for Devon Energy, Marathon, uh, also the XOP ETF. How are you feeling about oil right now? 
Um, I feel a lot better about it, Frank, uh, now that Delta seemingly is uh, shaping to that curve that I described out of Great Britain, um, because the uh, Delta variant has definitely curtailed a lot of travel, um, has cut back on demand because of that. And I think that the more that we get into the fall, the more likely we are to see that travel accelerate back again and Delta die down. And I think that's going to be good for U.S. producers. And I also really like Stephanie's play in Fang or, you know, in, in Diamondback. I, I think that's a nice play because uh, Permian, I think that's a great area to be in right now. So, Michael Farr, over to you. If you're betting on the U.S. consumer, it's really hard to bet against oil because you're assuming that people are going to be back out buying things, driving places. So are you bullish on oil? Frank, you were not supposed to hear that contradiction in my philosophy here. Uh, you know, yes, uh, I think that the consumer and recovering consumer will indeed probably uh, support the oil prices. They've been buying oil all the way along. The gross supply, I mean, the, the, the crude oil prices that have been changing 10 and 20 percent over a period, 10 percent easily over a period of a week, are absolutely baffling to me. The U.S. just sold its largest portion from the oil reserves that we've almost ever done, and the price is still kind of hanging in there. So I go back to what Josh says. I couldn't tell you for a flip of a coin where the crude is going. I'm out and away from this trade for now, but I certainly understand why someone would want to make it. Yeah, Goldman really pushing the China case is already declining. Some of that trend that you're talking about here in the U.S., uh, John, as uh, creating more demand for oil, at least in the back end of the year. All right, coming up, Medtronic shares at all-time highs after a big earnings beat. One member of our investment committee owns it. We'll trade it coming up next, plus two big calls on the street. Halftime, back after this. Corporate giants like Unilever and Deere are in a position to make the food system more sustainable. That's according to an ESG report by Credit Suisse, as well as newer players like Beyond Meat and Oatly Group. The agricultural sector contributes more than 40% of the globe's annual methane production, reducing food waste, improving livestock management, and changing dietary habits could cut food-related methane by half. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Half. Medtronic shares hitting a new all-time high today after the company reported better-than-expected quarterly results. EPS about 10 cents above estimates. Michael Farr, the man of contradiction. You own this medical device company. What's your take? A lot of surgeries and things were put off during the pandemic. Do you believe they can continue to show this kind of strength in future quarters? Frank, I do. I love those numbers this morning. They beat on the top line, the bottom line, and they increased guidance. It's one of my top 10 stocks for the year. It has not been a fabulous performer year to date. It's up 13 percent. So it's lagged the market so far. 
I think that this is a good, steady company, and there are four things I like here going forward. They've been investing in their pipeline for years, new products, new developments. Uh, they've spent money there. Those profits are going to come online here. Renal catheters, some soft tissue devices, mechanical devices. They've got 10% earnings growth. I think it's going to be very reliable. Selling at a 5% discount to the peer group, and they've got a fabulous balance sheet. So this is a name that looks like a core holding for me, I hope, for quite a while. Steph, turn it over to you. You recently added to one of your healthcare positions. You added some Johnson & Johnson stock. What was the motivation there? Yeah, it has also lagged the market as well. It's up 12%, but it trades at 18 times forward, which I think is reasonable. 2.4% dividend yield. They're committed to that dividend and raising it as well. They really have had really great quarters all year long. They've beaten and they've raised. They raised the dividend. I like that they have a kind of a three-prong approach of pharmaceutical business. They have a med tech business, and then they have the, the consumer piece as well. I don't love the fact that the CEO is leaving the company, but uh, it's for personal reasons, and they have a very strong bench. So I'm going to stick with it and continue to add if it continues to lag. All right, let's get to some of the big calls on Wall Street today. Let's kick things off with Live Nation uh, reiterated as a buy at Jeffries. I actually know what they do, unlike Leslie Poole's, Josh. Um, I know you also uh, own this one. What's your take? Are concerts actually coming back? Yes, they definitely are. Um, I don't even think that's I don't even think that's up for debate. The question is, what will be the reaction as more and more artists and venues uh, and even municipalities demand that people show proof of vaccine to come into these events? So right now, that, that mix is all over the map. Like, a lot of people went to City Field on Friday night for Dead & Company, which you would never catch me at. Um, and that was like a do-whatever-you-want show, like – um, but then you've got situations like Jones Beach, which is a venue by me on the South Shore of Long Island, where nobody knows if you're vaccinated or not. Some people wearing masks. So it's a little bit messy and you're not really going to get like full participation in these live events, sports either just yet. But it's on the way. And I think the tours are going to get bigger. I think there's going to be a lot more money spent on protecting people. And Live Nation is the best equipped company in the world to adapt to that new environment and make the consumer feel safe in their venues. So I'm, I'm long here. I've been long here. Uh, I love the, the situation, and I think the rest of this year will be good for the stock. All right, next up, FedEx reiterated as a buy by Bank of America. Michael Farr, you own this one. And I love this stock. I've loved it for a long time. If you're looking for something inexpensive to buy, uh, this is one of those names. It's still on the recovery list. It's 11.7 times earnings in a 19 times earnings market. Growing earnings, I think, at 15% probably for the next three, four, five years. 1.1% dividend. It will go up and down with energy prices and with consumer numbers and everything else. But you get a solid balance sheet and a company that can execute. I love this name. It's very comfortable. A lot of my names are uncomfortable because they've gotten so expensive. This one has it. Yeah, important to note, uh, UPS, their big rival, trading at 17 times future earnings. All right, up next, John's latest trades and unusual activity. Plus, make sure to catch CNBC's Evolve live stream on retail. That's today at 1 p.m. Courtney Reagan will interview Michelle Gass, CEO of Kohl's. Plus, Sumit Singh, the CEO of Chewy, and learn from the two of them how they're just navigating this uncertain landscape. You can register at CNBCEvents.com slash Evolve Retail. Stay with us.
All right, time now for unusual activity. John, what are you seeing? Well, Frank, um, Lucid, LCID, uh, they're buying weekly calls in this one, Frank. The stock is like 22 and change. They're buying the upside 23 calls that expire in just three days on Friday. So deep end of the pool, short-term trade. I'm in the 22 calls, and I hope to be selling upside calls against it as the stock rallies, which I am anticipating. Second one, Frank, take a look at what's going on in Royal Caribbean RCL. Um, this one, they're buying October calls, the October 85s, with the stock at about 82.50. Um, they're buying upside calls there again. More of that reopening because of the flattening delta. And then just quickly, Frank, two oncology plays. Um, there's a whole bunch of them that have been hitting because of uh, the big takeover this week by Pfizer um, at triple the valuation. And for that reason, there was speculation in two other big names, Cura, K-U-R-A. In this one, it's up about 15% since last Thursday. And they were buying the October 2250 calls. The other one, Frank... Um, A-L-X-O. It's up 30% from the Thursday low to the uh, high yesterday, and I'm already out of that one. Uh, that was not option activity. That was just stock. All right, there we go. Well, Ask Halftime, that's coming up next. Send in your questions by video. We'll play it on air. Email us at askhalf at cnbc.com, and we are back right after this. All right, welcome back to Halftime. The Investment Committee is answering your questions. First off, Josh, ironically, a video question for you on Leslie Pools. Hi, Judge. A big fan of the show. Simply brilliant. Thank you. My question is for Josh. Uh, Josh, it's about Leslie Sink. Uh, I haven't heard you talk about it in a while. The stock has tanked. It's down over 25% uh, during the past 30 days. So my question is, are you still a holder? And what is your outlook in the short to medium term? Thank you. So, so that's a great question. I haven't talked about it in a while because it's down, and I only talk about my winners in public. But I am still a holder of Leslie's, and I do still believe in it, and I may even end up adding to the position. I don't quite understand why it's down other than the fact that a lot of people don't know the story yet. I think it's one of the cheapest stocks I own. They reported earnings last week that were extraordinary. $600 million in sales, $180 million in free cash flow. Sales were up 24% year over year. And just look at the big picture. We built 70,000 pools in this country in 2019, 100,000 in 2020, 110,000 on pace for this year. And that number should stay there for the next five years. Every time a pool is completed, that's a new customer for life of uh, companies like Leslie's that are providing chemicals, toys, maintenance products they serve as professionals to. And I think it's a very unique business. It's only a $4 billion market cap. So I think the best is yet to come. I would not abandon the stock. Um, my timing may not have been great getting into it, but I don't have a short-term outlook. I have a long-term outlook on almost everything I invest in. All right, next question is for Stephanie. Darko in Portugal writes, is IBM still worth holding? It's actually worth buying, especially since it's corrected 8% from its highs. This is a turnaround story, and a turnaround story takes a long time to evolve. But the management is executing flawlessly, especially in cloud, AI, blockchain. They've made 15 acquisitions in the past year. 
in, in, in cloud and in software and IT services, really the higher growth areas within technology. So it's trading at 13 times, a 4.7% dividend while, yield while you wait. So I would be a buyer right here. All right, next question is for John from John. John in Wisconsin asks, does John Nigerian still have any Zynga options? I do not, and uh, it's not because I don't like the company, um, but uh, the options that I had have expired, and I always tend to stick, Frank, to the uh, time frame that the unusual activity is in. Um, if I were to be in the gaming space, I would like uh, Roblox much better at this stage anyway. Um, but no, I am not in Zynga. All right, lastly, a question from Michael. Rob in California writes, a while back you recommended Becton Dixon. Or Dickinson? Is it's been down recently. Do you still recommend it? Um, Rob, this has been one of my more frustrating names that I've held this year. It's only up about a percent. Yes, I'm going to continue to hold it. They face some headwinds so far from higher costs, materials, freight, but... It's a 10% discount to the group, 19 times earnings, 1% dividend, uh, growing those earnings at 11% and a good balance sheet. So I think in that space of healthcare, it's a more defensive name. And yes, I'm going to hold it, but no, it hasn't been a fabulous stock so far. All right. Final trades. They're coming up here on Halftime. We're back in two. Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we could play it on air. Email us. Ask halftime at CNBC.com. And welcome back to Half. Quick check of the markets. The Dow up about 50 points. The S&P up fractionally. The NASDAQ hitting a new record, crossing that 15,000 milestone. We're also watching Cisco Systems. Shares hitting a new 52-week high. The stock up more than 30% this year. Steph, you own it. Yeah, uh, and it was a fabulous quarter. I actually bought it because I thought enterprise spending would start to recover in the second half of the year. We're starting to see that. In the quarter, they had 31% year-over-year product orders and 14% infrastructure revenue. So it's clearly showing momentum is building in enterprise. The stock trades at 17 times earnings. It gives you a 2.5% dividend yield. Management is one of the best in the business. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to hold on to it, and hopefully it continues to ride higher. Yeah, speaking of momentum, Steph, let's get to your final trade while we have you here. Yes, yeah, so I'm active. It's an auto parts company, connectivity, electric vehicle play. I owned this for a very long time. I sold it. I'm regretting it, but it's down 7% from its highs, and I think it's worthy of a buy. John, you actually just bought something. Can you explain? Sure. Sarepta. Um, this one, they had uh, an earnings, uh, I think into earnings, they were about a $67 stock, Frank. They have moved up um, into the uh, 75 range now. And upside call buying was what drove me in. I'll be holding these a couple weeks, Frank. Josh, over to you. Great job today, Frank. General Motors got hit too hard. I would buy it here. Josh, still shocked by Leslie. I see he's more of a pond guy than a pool guy. Michael, you get the last word. <laughs> pool, pond. Oh. The truest financial selling at book value has a 3.4% dividend, growing earnings at 9%. Great job today, Frank. All right, that does it for halftime, Michael. I appreciate it. The Exchange with Kelly Evans, up now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
while what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.